The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Snagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Not too bad, Father. Good to see you again. Yes. Great to be here. I'd like to ask some prayers, I may. Sure. For a dear soul, one of our viewers who passed away, uh, her name is Mary Catherine Thorez Wheeler. She just uh, actually arrived here in Cincinnati. She wanted to be close to the Blessed Sacrament, and that's where she ended her days. In fact, she arrived just a few days ago and then received our Lord in Holy Communion and then um, died within 24 hours. So I uh, was very glad that she was here and able to receive our Lord and, uh, at that time. And so please keep her in your prayers. Uh, again, a very dear, valiant soul, suffered with cancer, <clears throat> but suffered very, very uh, valiantly, I'd say. And um, she had received the sacraments of the church and uh, certainly had the faith and hope and charity, love for our Lord. And also please continue to pray for the recovery of uh, a dear lady injured in an automobile accident. It was very serious. Unfortunately, it was... Uh, uh, head-on collision, basically, I guess, and mostly a head-on collision from, with a drunk driver, a, a man who actually had his 12-year-old son in, in his own vehicle at the time. How tragic that is. <clears throat> and uh, our uh, own Monica Lichter was very seriously injured, so please do keep her in your prayers, and her family as well. She has a long road to recovery, but thank goodness she's expected to recover. And please also pray for a little boy, a uh, little boy named uh, Jude. And he's undergoing a medical procedure very soon, which uh, will be very important for his life. So remember him and his family in your prayers as well. And there are quite a few others too, but I um, commend them to you as special intentions. God knows who they are. Pray for them as a result of my request, and, and uh, God will have mercy on them and bless you at the same time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Father. Certainly keep them in our prayers. Uh, Father, we wanted to talk about tonight that's been in the news for the last uh, several days now and that is uh that nancy pelosi was uh apparently has apparently been uh barred from receiving holy communion by the uh archbishop of uh san francisco this archbishop salvatore cordelion uh apparently has said due to her uh position on abortion her extreme position on abortion due to her her uh votes in support of uh codifying Roe v. Wade into law that uh, she is no longer able to receive Holy Communion. Uh, apparently, this Archbishop said that he has reached out to her office, uh, attempted to uh, communicate with her, and has nothing has ever come of this. And so he said that uh, at uh, the risk of, of grave sin, she is no longer able to receive Holy Communion. He is no longer able to administer Holy Communion to her. Uh, there's been a lot of reactions to this, Father. I guess just today, um, Nancy Pelosi replied herself and said that uh, she respects people's views about that, but does not respect people foisting it onto others. Um, 
So what is your take on this, Father? Do you think this is a good thing, this Archbishop is doing this? How would you respond to this? Well, Tom, uh, there are a number of issues involved, obviously, but I, I guess uh, the place where most people start in, in, in looking at this whole scenario is, well, some say, well, it's about time. Others say, this has been going on for decades. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has basically built her entire political career on uh, enabling women to murder their babies if they want to. Right? Um, so this is what she's made hay on, right? I mean, there are rivers of blood that have been shed uh, of, of innocent children with this uh, abortion atrocity. And uh, there are politicians uh, like uh, Nancy Pelosi who basically stake their whole career on that. And um, it's a very dirty, very cruel, very ugly, and even uh, actually demonic business is what it is, right? Um, one might even say, you know, might as well, you know, post the sign, how to murder babies for fun and profit. Profit, definitely, with Planned Parenthood. For fun, well, again, you know, I mean, it sounds awful, but there are people who abort their babies, uh, the vast majority of them, uh, abort them for, basically, uh, they just don't want the responsibility of raising a child. And uh, because they want to enjoy life, basically. Uh, they want to get ahead in the world somehow, whether it's a job or a college degree or something. They just don't want to be encumbered by the responsibility for raising this this particular child. And uh, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi, as they say, has made a political career out of, out of appealing to this like, mentality. And there are millions and millions of children who perished because of this. Um, and so the question is, why now? I mean, 1973 was when Roe v. Wade was established by the Supreme Court mm. by a 7-2 decision of the so-called justices. <laughs> but uh, now uh, that is being called into question severely, finally, <laughs> uh, by Justice Alito, and I hope a number of other, the others too, enough to overturn this and say this was bad law and it's, it should not be law at all as far as... Um, um, well, they're saying basically on the federal level, it should not be decided on the federal level. Yeah. So anyway, um, so, you know, why would Archbishop Cordelion, why would he decide after all of these years, this is the time why we have to actually say that, you know, by the way, you've been giving a lot of scandal here and we have to, not by the way, but uh, we have to prevent you from receiving communion, you know. After all the this years, um, so I think a lot of people are asking that question, like, what, what's up? And uh, the second question people are asking, what practical effect will this actually have? I mean, Nancy Pelosi's in Washington D.C. Uh, even just was it uh, today or yesterday? She went to, I understand, the Jesuit priests in Washington D.C. and received the wafer. Put her hand out and receive the wafer. So if the um, if the other Novus Ordo bishops and the other Novus Ordo clergy are not going to observe this, what practical consequence does it have? That's a second question. There's a third question. When John Paul II and Benedict, Benedict XVI came to America, right within their, their very site, I mean, just in front of them, Nova Soro, their new order clergy were, were handing hosts 
to uh, pro-abortion supporters, including Pelosi herself, right in front of uh, them. And I'm, you know, Francis, Francis has never uh, upheld anything like that. You know, the argument uh, to ban, you know, abor uh, the, the wafer, the communion wafer of the Novus Ordo to uh, people like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, goodness, uh, Ted Kennedy, who was, you know, Mr. Abortion over here, uh, was dying of cancer, and he wrote to John Paul II, of all people, and uh, about his impending death, that is, Ted Kennedy's impending death, and a Catholic would have expected that, that a pope, a Catholic pope, would respond to him, you need to repent of this, you need to repair the scandal that you've given, and you need to, you know, prepare to meet the judgment seat of God, who is holding you responsible for uh, your your support of the death of, of millions of children. That isn't at all what, what happened here. Um, John Paul II didn't even respond. A, some kind of Monsignor, a Monsignor on the uh, staff there in Vatican, wrote back to Ted Kennedy, basically telling him, don't worry about a thing, you're fine. What a scandal that was, you know. So, it, it, you know, there are reasons why others are looking at Archbishop uh, Leon and saying, what, why this, why now? I mean, after all of this history, that the new order, uh, uh, that really we trace back to the ba Vatican II, that's when it broke out, really, at Vatican II. The infection was there earlier, but the actual full-blown disease of modernism really came out of Vatican II, uh, with all of its symptoms. I mean, how does this actually address the problem and deal with anything, you know, effectively? When uh, Nancy can go put her hand out anywhere else, and some, some clergyman of the Novus Ordo will put a wafer in it, without any hesitation at all. So, I mean, you're, you're building on years and years of the new order here, rendering this whole question kind of, uh, well, essentially moot, you know? <clears throat> what, if, what practical effect does this have for good? And then, I mean, there are other questions that hang in, in the balance, too. Look at all the changes they made in the right of ordination, the right of consecration of bishops, the right of ordination of the priesthood. There are, there are very serious questions about the validity of these of these rites even more. And, and you look at the New Mass. And the New Mass never actually says explicitly, this is the sacrifice of Calvary offered in reparation for sin. That truth has been basically uh, surgically removed from the New, new Liturgy. Right? Um, and so it calls itself a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. It never calls itself a sacrifice of reparation. Recalls our Lord's sacrifice on Calvary, long ago, far away, but never says that this liturgy we're saying right here and now, this worship we're offering right here, is this is that sacrifice, is that sacrifice? Doesn't just recall it. Protestants recall the sacrifice of Calvary, but they don't have the Mass, which is the sacrifice of Calvary, and the New Mass never claims to be the sacrifice of Calvary. In fact, when the New Mass first came out, it came with a like an instruction user's manual. And uh, that, you might say, at least implicitly denied that it was a sacrifice of Calvary. The definition of the new Mass that came out in 1970 with the general instruction on the new Novus Ordo Mise said that the, the Novus Ordo, the new order, um, the Lord's Supper, parentheses, or Mass, close parentheses, 
is the gathering together of the people of God under the presidency of priests to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. That's what it said. That's the official definition that came out with the new mass. And it went on and said, and therefore it is particularly true of a local congregation that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's the spiritual presence of Christ. Again, you know, if that's their definition of what the Novus Ordo is, it is not. It is not the Mass. Never was intended to be the Mass. And even though they later on in subsequent editions of the general instruction changed those words to make them more Catholic, they didn't change the new Mass. They didn't make it more Catholic. It still remains, look at the offertory, the offertory itself. Uh, has excised the prayers that actually talk about that, the fact that we're offering the victim the oblation, the, the, the sacrifice for on reparation for our sins. It's gone. It was taken out. And, uh, and the same with uh, you know, the offering of the chalice in which we're offering for mercy. We're ask, asking for mercy in the traditional Mass. Uh, the new offertory, basically, for the new Mass, so-called, is basically just a thanksgiving to God for giving us bread and wine and then turning it into somehow it will become our spiritual food, it will become our spiritual drink. Yeah, Lutheran could say that. And, and actually Lutherans have used the new Mass. <laughs> you know, no problem. Doesn't say anything specifically Catholic. Uh, and so uh, this is the issue we have. So the question that would arise is, well, is what Nancy Pelosi is receiving, I mean, is it anything more than just a wafer of bread that, um, you know, in the Novus Ordo is meant to symbolize the presence of Christ? But the real presence of Christ, as far as they're concerned, as real as it gets, as far as they're concerned, is Christ present in the assembly. Yeah. Well, actually, if you examine the new Mass, that's exactly the idea. Christ is present in the assembly. I mean, why else would they take the what Catholics used to think and know as the Blessed Sacrament, the focal point of every Catholic Church, take it out, put it over, you know, in a closet on the side or on a separate chapel, out of sight, basically out of mind, have a table instead of a, an altar, and have the assembly gathered around there. Because, you know, the whole idea is Christ is present in the assembly. That's the focal point of the new Mass. But it's not the Catholic Mass, right? It's a new liturgy suitable for a, well, a new religion, a Novus Ordo, a modernist religion, uh, which is going to eventually morph into the one world religion. <clears throat> so um, the Mass had to be gotten out of the way, the true Mass, just as the sacrifice of Calvary has to be gotten out of the way. And uh, the true faith entirely has to be gotten out of the way. And this is the job of modernism. This is what the modernists do, who took over at Vatican II and have pretty much installed themselves in positions of power right up to the modernist in chief, Francis himself. This is what's going on here. So again, it's a very fair question to ask. I mean, what is Nancy actually receiving there? I mean, would you want her to be receiving the actual body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in her condition? What kind of a sacrilege would that be? What a scandal would that be? What an insult to our Lord would that be? But the problem that uh, these, the Novus Ordo Catholics have is that they, they have to insist that, yes, that's really the, the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ there. That's what we're receiving. That's what they're handing out. The particles of the host are falling. That's what we're walking over 
yes, that has to be really Christ there, um, because, you know, this is the Catholic religion and the Catholic faith, and they're insisting that... But Paul VI himself called a new order. They're insisting that, no, it's really really the, the Catholic faith, the same Catholic faith. <laughs> At the same time, what they're having to face is that what they're saying is uh, what they're calling the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ is routinely being handed out to people who are committing sacrileges. Including Nancy Pelosi and uh, Joe Biden and the whole, the whole cabal, the whole group of them. And, uh, you know, you'd think that they'd be horrified at the thought of it. You'd think they'd say, well, here's the problem, see. They try to uh, proceed along the primrose path, merry way, and saying, well, no, it's really, it really is valid. The new mass is really valid. Yes, these priests are really valid. They validly consecrated. Yes, I'm going to the new order. Yes, I'm receiving the host. Yes, it really is the body and blood of the new Christ. <laughs> and uh, they see what's being done to it. And uh, they see not only what's being done to it, handing out, being handed out to people, and particles falling, and the people stomping all over the particles of the same host. There, the, the, con the conservative Novosoro, uh, who still have the faith, are adoring. But they see that the Novosoro routinely gives uh, the wafer then sacrilegiously to um, all of these people who are actually committing horrible, horrible crimes against God, against humanity, <laughs> abortion and so on. And uh, you'd think if they really saw that happening, and they really believed what they say they believe, that it really is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, that they'd be so horrified that they would say, I can't have anything to do with that. Because any church that would consecrate the body and blood of Christ and then give it to people like Nancy Pelosi, Routinely, for years and years and years. Joe Biden and so on. But that can't be right. That, that's got to be gravely, gravely sinful. How can any church of Christ consecrate his body and blood and then abuse the Blessed Sacrament egregiously, so publicly for years, as to be openly responsible for sacrilege upon sacrilege upon sacrilege? I mean, this is what the Satanists want to do with the host. That's why they take the host. Right? We just had a case in Texas, right? where a tabernacle of the Nova Serta was broken into, and the hosts were taken. Uh, the guy had a drug habit, as it turns out. He wanted, he wanted to sell what he could get money for, the tabernacle. He ditched the tabernacle, finally. The hosts have never been found. Um, the vessels, I guess, he took, and maybe he did sell them so he could support his drug habit. But the point is that Satanists want to get their hands on the hosts, and they want to get their hands on the hosts so they can abuse them sacrilegiously. But the Novus Ordo has been doing this for decades now, ever since the New Order came out. This is, this is routinely what they're doing. Um, and I would think anybody who still had the Catholic faith who was going to the Novus Ordo would be so horrified if they really believed that was the body and blood of Christ, and if they really cared, you'd think they would be so, so horrified at the thought of what is being done there that they would say, I cannot set foot in that church. I mean, how is this any, any less evil giving the host to a Nancy Pelosi than it is for a Satanist you know, to, uh, to uh, get hosts for the sake of uh, showing absolute uh, contempt for it, right? <clears throat> One might say, well, Nancy 
you know, maybe, maybe she doesn't know any better. One can make all kinds of ridiculous excuses like that. But it doesn't help because, you know, the Catholics should say, well, certainly the priest should know better, the bishop should know better, the pope should know better, or those they consider the Catholic clergy. <laughs> certainly you think they should know better, and if they don't know any better, again, you know, any, any, anybody who still has the Catholic faith who's involved in that, you'd think they had a lick of sense or a lick of faith or a lick of hope or charity, would say, I can have nothing to do with this. This is the greatest source of, of sacrilege the world has ever known, the Novus Ordo. And you'd think they'd start looking for a traditional Catholic church and traditional Catholic mass to go to where they truly validly consecrate and where they uh, actually adore those, and they would defend it with their lives, rather than betray our Lord into the hands of his enemies over and over and over and over again, right? Father, how could any Novus Ordo Catholic even take this seriously anyway when, um, you know, the Pope, the, their head of the Novus Ordo, says not to politicize the Eucharist. He says we should give the, the Eucharist to uh, adulterers and, mm -hmm. and worse. Because they need it. Yeah, how, this how, is medicine, right? How can anyone take it seriously, though, when, when this archbishop uh, here or there will, you know, make some kind of seemingly conservative statement like this, when the, the head of the entire Novus Ordo Church has said the exact opposite? You can't even take it seriously. Tom, you're absolutely right. It, does, it doesn't make sense. And on top of that, a bishop says something like that. A Novus Ordo bishop, okay? I've got to specialize on yeah. that. That's a different thing. Okay. He says something like that. And it's considered to be such a bold, yeah. <laughs> bold statement, you know. Yeah. Everyone is shocked that that bishop would stand up and say that. And what does that say about the Novus Ordo? That that's considered a bold statement for anybody to say something like that. That Nancy Pelosi should not be receiving communion, you know. Um, and, then, and then many of the other so-called, well, bishops, Novus Ordo bishops, um, really blast him, right, excoriate him. And as you say, he's criticized uh, from the Vatican, uh, at least implicitly, right? People are appealing to the Vatican now to have Cordelion removed, right? Because of what he's done here. And, uh, I mean, such luminaries as Whoopi Goldberg, is she, is she considered to be a Catholic? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg said it's really not his place, the place of Archbishop yeah. Cordelion to make these decisions, right? Yeah. Well, I mean... You know, there you have the, um, the Popes here <laughs> uh, pronouncing on it. And this is what's, what has become of the Novus Ordo. Yeah. It is a farce. The entire Novus Ordo is a sacrilegious farce. So you're right. And it, and it goes all the way up to the top. And, that's, that's, and that is where the problem really is. That's where it is. It's really up there in the yeah. top. Yeah. That's why this whole thing is happening, because of what's happening in the Vatican. And um, the voice of the papacy has been, has been, uh, you know, uh, what do you say, muffled, stilled, silenced, strangled, uh, thrown in the dungeon while these modernists are running amok and reigning supreme, yeah. creating scandal after scandal. And there are people who would say that we're creating the scandal by saying that. Yeah. Father, could we could we uh, perhaps be be very very positive and optimistic though, and say maybe there is some grace at work here, and maybe this archbishop is, uh, you know, beginning to see things more clearly, and this is perhaps just a maybe a small first step that he's taken to 
kind of fight back against some of the modernism that he sees in the story of? Could that well, possibly be the case? Well, I mean, I don't know why he did it. You'd like to think there was some faith and some courage behind it. Right? Yeah. And we would hope so. And yes, I mean, in the sense that we, we want that to happen, okay? But we can't ignore the fact of what has been happening for all these years and year after year after year and all of these sacrileges. Yeah. And what has been going on in, in San Francisco itself for years, right? Under his very nose all this time. So we have to say, well, God can work this great grace. But, uh, you know, we see what's happened with uh, Archbishop Vigano, you know, and hopefully, you know, he'll come along and realize more and more now the depths of the, of the evil of the new order and realize, you know, it even reflects on the validity of his own orders, you know. Um, but the fact is, you know, if you look at it from, from a human point of view, humanly speaking, there's, there's nothing to hope for there. Divinely speaking, from God, uh, we hope and pray for grace, you know. And we'll see what happens next, okay. We'll see maybe, uh, you know, this uh, Novus Archbishop, Novus Ordo Archbishop uh, Coeur d'Alene there, uh, actually says, wakes up one morning and says, this whole thing was a terrible, terrible evil. The whole Novus Ordo was conceived in sacrilege. We have to reject it entirely. Okay? We'll see if that happens. Right? We'll see. Ever. Okay? <laughs> but... Um, Nancy Pelosi is just one person. I mean, how many other people are involved, even in San Francisco, with all this evil? And he, he she singles her out. How many, how many other people in San Francisco are, are representing the same thing that Nancy Pelosi does, standing for the same thing that she has stood for? In other words, how many other people would that letter that he wrote to her apply to? And nothing. So, uh, I'm sorry, Tom, but I, I'd have to see an awful lot more uh, fruits about such a grace to have, conf have that confidence. So. Okay. But hope strings eternal, we pray. Yeah. We pray. Okay. Well, Father, another topic we wanted to touch on tonight, um, you briefly mentioned this in a previous program, but uh, Apparently, this um, is actually going on now where the World Health Organization is hosting its 75th World Health Assembly. Um, mm -hmm. I understand that it's, it's actually going on right now. Um, but apparently, uh, at this assembly, the uh, Biden administration has, has drafted a set of amendments uh, to the international health regulations. And there's a lot of concern about these uh, amendments, how they will kind of give away the uh, sovereignty of the United States and just kind of grant unilateral authority to uh, some World Health Organization director um, in regards to, to matters of, of health emergencies and how they determine what is a health emergency and what they do as far as lockdowns and what they impose. And it um, seems that it really, everything we've read about it, seems that it really does just kind of take away any kind of sovereignty that we have. Um, I, that we we uh, tried researching this. It doesn't seem the amendments have actually been officially adopted yet, but there seems to we be a lot of got the word yet. There seems to be a lot of support for them, though. It's yeah, uh, there are six hours ahead of us. Yeah. At least, anyway. All indications are though that they will be adopted. Um, what 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 do you make of this, Father? Is there? Well, I've actually uh, 
decided to look into this this World Health Organization and try to understand how is this thing governed. Okay. I mean, how did we even get into this thing in the first place? Who got us into the World Health Organization? You know? And I'm not entirely clear on how. I mean, in former days, for example, at the time after World War I, when the League of Nations was proposed, that had to be voted on by the United States Senate to enter into that League of Nations. The United States Senate voted against it because they said that it would compromise the sovereignty of the United States of America. Very, very significant statement about that. You can look that up. You can look it up. Uh, the League of Nations, especially with regard to the United States, uh, would be involvement in how the United States was one of the few nations worldwide who refused to ratify any such uh, membership in such an organization. Uh, the Senate refused because it would compromise sovereignty of the United States of America. I think it would. E I think they even indicated that to compromise the sovereignty of the United States of America was a treasonous act. Which is very important today because of what happened here. Because uh, President Biden has himself and his government actually proposed these amendments. Okay? Take it upon himself and his government, so-called, his regime, to contact the World Health Organization and propose amendments. Yeah. And these uh, amendments that he proposed have to be voted on now by the World Health Assembly. And it's very likely that the World Health Assembly will vote in favor of these amendments because these amendments give it more power. When you first read the amendments, and uh, I, I must admit I've read them only very, very cursorily, very quickly. But, uh, I mean, I was looking for uh, evidence that these amendments would give uh, the World Health Assembly greater power, or the director of the, uh, of the World Health Organization greater power to even just personally um, dictate, dictate health policies, including vaccinations and lockdowns to member states. And it's not entirely clear, clear in reading through those regulations at first. Because there's a lot of legal ease, a lot of, well, as pursuant to this and in light of that, and then referring you to other things that have already been agreed upon. Uh, and um, so, you know, you'd really have to be an attorney or a squad of attorneys who just kind of research the whole thing. Fortunately, there are people who uh, have a very, very good legal minds who have looked into it. And their verdict is, it would surrender sovereignty to the United States of America to a world organization. I mean, the, the WHO is actually a, a, a creature of the United Nations. It's part of the United Nations, right? So uh, right there, you have a problem. And, and the World Health Organization has a certain organization in itself of government. government. Uh, it does have a, a director. The director is chosen. And the director is chosen, well, let's see, you know, I, I have here some information that my people might find interesting because I don't know that they've actually looked into it themselves. Um, uh, it says, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the director general of the World Health Organization elected 
by a vote of member states at the World Health Assembly on 23 May 2017. According to this, the Director General of the World Health Organization is elected by a vote of member states. But somebody will find out what that means in just a minute. The Director General is World Health Organization's Chief Technical and Administrative Officer. He is basically like the executive and oversees the policy for the organization's international health work. Dr. Tedros took office for a five-year term on July 1st, 2017, which would theoretically end on July 1st, 2022. So who knows what's coming next, right? I mean, he's bad enough, frankly, with the track record he has. Uh, very, very chummy with, uh, with Xi Jinping of uh, China, the actually the uh, head of the Communist Party in China. That's not good news. Um, in any case, uh, so we, you know, they talk about the World Health, Health uh, Director General. Then they give you a little information here on the World Health Assembly. By the way, this information comes largely from the World Health Organization's own website, talking about itself here. It says, Information, Rules of Procedure, World Health Assembly. The World Health Assembly is the supreme decision-making body for the World Health Organization. It generally meets in Geneva in May, thus their meeting right now, 75th meeting. Began the 22nd of May, ends the 28th of May, so tomorrow will be the midpoint. And is attended by delegations from all 194 member states. 194 member states are represented in voting here. Its main function is to determine the policies of the organization. The Health Assembly appoints the Director General, as we just said, supervises the financial policies of the organization and reviews and approves the proposed program budget. It similarly considers reports of the Executive Board, which it instructs in regards to matters upon which Further action, study, investigation, and report may be required. Okay. <clears throat> they also, by the way, gave a list of who was still waiting to speak at the current meetings going yeah. on. <clears throat> and um, as of the time I accessed this, which is just earlier today, these are the representative. These are representatives of the various states that are waiting to speak here. This is the deliberative body now. Not just consultative. This is the deliberate body which makes the policy, okay? Kuwait, Seychelles, Oman, Micronesia, Mongolia, Libya, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Benin, Central African Republic, Sao Tome and Principe, and Palestine. And they're, they're just waiting, they're stacked up waiting to, to speak at this assembly here where they're making, going to make a policy. Uh, and evidently policy for all the member states. You read the, uh, you know, the provisions, and they apply to all the member states equally. Yeah. United States and Seychelles, you know, they apply equally, bind us all equally. And uh, again, from the same website of the World Health Organization, the World Health, Assembly, the World Health Assembly's mandate is to approve the biennial program budget and decide on major policy matters. 
There's, there are teeth in those words, okay? The Health Assembly is the supreme decision-making body of the World Health Organization. The World Health Assembly is held usually in Geneva in May each year and is attended by delegations from all the member states. Okay, so that restates it. And then it goes on to talk about the executive board under this World Health Assembly. It says the executive board is composed of 34 individuals. 34 individuals technically qualified in the field of health each one designated by a member state elected to do so by the World Health Assembly. So <clears throat> the various member states can nominate their own experts. And then the assembly chooses from the nominees of these 194 nations, 34 individuals who are actually going to be on this executive board. And it says member states are elected for three-year terms and the individuals they designate act as government representatives and not in their individual capacity. So in other words, the members of the executive board are actually representing their governments, not representing even their people. They're representing their governments. Now you think about the various governments of the various nations of the world. And we realize there's an executive board under this, of this World Health Organization which has individuals who are actually members of that executive board to carry out policy and apply it. And they represent these governments of the world. And you begin to ask the question, well, how does giving this power over our nation not constitute treason? How is this not betraying the sovereignty of the United States of America? Why is this not a treasonous act? to actually propose this. It's incredible to me. <clears throat> it goes on here. The main functions of this board are to give effect to the decisions and policies of the Health Assembly, to advise the World Health Assembly, and to facilitate the work of the Health Assembly generally. The Secretariat of the World Health Organization is staffed by some 8,000 health and other experts and support staff on fixed-term appointments, working at headquarters in the sixth regional offices and in countries. The organization is headed by the Director General, again, who is appointed by the Health Assembly on the nomination, on the nomination of the Executive Board. So there's another power of the Executive Board, these 34 individuals who actually represent the, the governments of the nations they come from to nominate who's going to be the Director General. And the Director General is chosen by the Assembly from one of those nominees. Again, I ask, how is it possible that this is not treason, that this is not high treason, should be judged as such and treated as such, right? Um, when you read these new uh, proposals of President Biden and his crew, you find that they involve uh, the establishment. Now, maybe there already was an emergency committee established by the rules of the World Health Organization. But again, what we see is an expansion of the powers of these things. But what is very interesting, I think, is that now there is going to be a compliance committee. A compliance committee. You know what compliance means? <clears throat> a compliance committee which is actually at kind of the end of the whole process. So you read through 
the, this whole, the whole statement of how the World Health Organization is supposed to work relative to individual nations, member nations. And at first it sounds okay, you know, that the World Health Organization is going to make recommendations, it's going to provide information, but always at the discretion of the member nation, okay? That the member nation has the right to request it or to refuse it, even at, at some point uh, in, the, in the course of the, uh, of, of the rules, it says that if a member nation has not uh, approved of a proposal from the World Health Organization in so much time, and it might be of just a day, two or three days, it is to be considered rejected. Now that, you know, at first you read that and you think, well, okay, they're, they're writing in some, some powers of self-defense, some powers of self-determination to the nations. But then you get to the end and you start reading about this compliance committee <clears throat> involving, um, let's say, situations that are considered to be international emergencies. By whom? <laughs> By the executive board, these 34 individuals who are representing their individual nations. Even if one of those uh, individual nations represented on the 34-member executive board was the United States of America. What ch chance do we have? What chance do we stand of, of actually being able to say, no, we will not lock down, let you lock down our country. We will not consider ourselves uh, under your authority to lock down our entire country or to enforce and demandate that our entire population be vaccinated with your monkeypox vaccine. <clears throat> so it's interesting that the monkeypox vaccine has appeared on the scene just when it was forecast. I mean, there were, there were trials already uh, run and uh, documents, meetings actually recorded, uh, actually talking about the appearance of monkeypox uh, occurring right now. These were forecast like six, seven years ago. And here it is, right on schedule. It's amazing. <clears throat> now these people are really uh, prophets. Or they are very evil. And like the devil himself, who can't foretell the future, but who can make a prediction and then make it come true. He has powers, you know, to manipulate things, to make these things happen on schedule. Um, this is the kind of thing we're dealing with, I'm afraid, right now. That this is all, well, they call it the plandemic, and that's exactly what it appears to be. I think you'd have to be uh, very irrational not to see it, or uh, very naive, uh, seriously in denial not, not to see it. When they tell you ahead of time what they're going to do, then they do it. And then, after they've done it, everything kind of goes to you know, according to a set plan, working all toward one goal, and that is uh, basically extending absolute control over, over every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And they're saying that formerly uh, Hitler and Stalin and the rest of them couldn't do this, but now we can, and that's a good thing. Uh, then I think any reasonable individual would say there's something fishy going on here, you know. And we see it, of course, in the spiritual point of view. We, we understand that this is not merely a secular, worldly phenomenon. I mean, the whole issue here 
is really Christ and Antichrist. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about souls. It's about the value of human life. It's about the human soul created in the image of God by nature and by grace in the, in the likeness of God and destined for eternal life. And uh, this is really the issue, whether people are going to, uh, uh, you know, be willing to have faith, hope, and charity, be faithful to Almighty God, their Creator, or whether they are going to fall victim to that promise, uh, eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, you will be as God yourself, you'll make the rules. And the people who are behind this are making no secret of the fact whose side they're on. They are going to recreate humanity in their own image and like. That's what they've said and that's what they're planning to do. So, um, in any case, uh, Tom, I, you know, maybe going a little beyond the field, beyond the pale here a little bit, but nonetheless, I mean, if one begins to actually examine this World Health Organization, its providence, its, uh, organiz its, its actual uh, I guess you'd call it a constitution, I forget what they, exactly they call it. You can go on the World Health Organization website and read this for yourself. <clears throat> and uh, you can actually download their, um, download their, uh, the new proposals of the Biden, uh, the resident Biden regime, um, and see what's involved here and understand why there are those raising the alarm that this is a, a basically a surrender of the United States of America to the control of the United Nations Health Organization. By the way, the executive board, we talked about the executive board, which has the power to carry out the dictates of the assembly, right? Mm -hmm. General Assembly. The current executive board, here's what it says. The WHO's executive board comprised of 34 members technically qualified, the, the experts, right? the experts, in the field of health, facilitates the implementation of the agency's work plan and provides proposals and recommendations to the Director General and the WHA. That's the World Health Assembly, evidently. The 34 members are drawn from six regions, and here how they're, here's how they're representative. There are seven representative, representatives from Africa, from African nations. Okay. Six representatives from the Americas, whatever that means. Okay, that's a region unto itself. So the United States of America doesn't really have any, any actual unique identity in this organization. It's a region called the Americas. So six from the, from the Americas. Five represent the Eastern Mediterranean. What does that mean? You know, six, uh, eight, eight represent Europe. Three represent Southeast Asia, and five represent the Western Pacific. And that's how this executive board is now constituted. And uh, again, you know, I read these things and I continue reading uh, through and I ask myself, how can this not be treason? So anyway, um, since you asked, I thought I would go into a little more detail. Because I don't know that others are. They're, they're reading these reports, they're hearing that resident biden is uh is surrendering the united states of america to control of foreign powers <clears throat> but i don't know if they really understand i did i certainly didn't now i understand a little bit more about what this world health organization is mm -hmm. and what a foreign power it really is yeah. okay. 
Well, Father, it almost seems like they intentionally make it hard to understand exactly what it is. I, I uh, and just doing a, a little bit of research, came across an, an AP News article where they uh, they talk about these proposed amendments and they um, kind of tell uh, tell tell us all that you know everything we've been hearing about them is not true. Don't worry about them whatsoever. Uh, everything you've heard so far about them is false, and just don't worry about a thing. Are these Every, the fact checkers? Everything is fine. These oh, fact the, the fact checkers, yes. I'll tell you, they are professional liars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They don't tell us what, what these amendments actually are. They just simply say, well, everything you have heard about them is false, and just don't don't worry about <clears throat> a thing. So, right, that's right. Pretty, um, they, they, uh, they are paid to lie. So basically it comes down to that. Okay. Uh, which actually, it, they, they're a good fit for politicians. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're a politician and, you know, you, you, you realize that you weren't keeping up with the lying, then you'd be hiring some experts. For example, if you were, if you were nothing but a politician, you'd, you'd set up an agency probably within the Department of, of Human, the Department of, what is it, DHS, uh, uh, for misinformation, right, to stop misinformation from flowing. And then you'd hire somebody to head it who was basically had a PhD in lying, who got a PhD in the art of lying, to, to know what misinformation is, how to use it, how to recognize it, and um, not really for the sake of uh, suppressing it or exposing it, but using it, in other words, to, uh, to suppress the opposition, those who would tell the truth. So again, it's, it's the exactly opposite of what they say it is, because that, it, that's, that's what a politician is. That's who a politician is. When I say a politician, I don't mean everybody who's elected to office. I don't mean that. I'm talking about there's a difference between a politician and a statesman or a stateswoman. Someone who actually, I mean, a politician is somebody who's in it for himself and will say whatever he has to say for a vote. Like a modernist, he'll say one thing to somebody, turn around and say the exact opposite to somebody else. <clears throat> And, uh, and have no qualms whatsoever, right? Because it has nothing to do with truth or falsehood. They don't even believe in truth. There's no such thing. They're like Pontius Pilate. <laughs> but uh, a statesman is somebody who actually thinks in terms of living up to his responsibilities for the good of his constituents. And uh, it's not just somebody who represents his constituents. You know, because somebody who represents his constituents could say, okay... Uh, you know, I represent this state or this city or whatever. How many of you are in favor of abortion? The majority of you are, so that's the position I'm going to take. That's not what a statesman does. <clears throat> uh, that's what a demagogue does, basically saying, okay, uh, I just, an extension of you, I have no conscience of my own. You know? It's like somebody being elected president on the basis of the fact that he says, I'm a Catholic, but I'm not going to follow my Catholic conscience. I promise you that. Why would anybody vote for somebody who says he's not going to follow his conscience? What kind of a monster is that? If he's, if he's going to not follow his own conscience and making decisions, do you want to elect someone like that? I wouldn't think so, but we do, don't we? <clears throat> That's assuming they have a conscience. On the other hand, if you have a resident Biden, <clears throat> again, there's a politician. A politician is like someone who has no conscience whatsoever, right? And uh, because a conscience is a, is a function of the reason, it's a, a conscience is, is actually... Cinderesis, it is a judgment of the practical reason, that's the intelligence, concerning uh, the rightness or wrongness of an act before us, make, to make a decision of the rightness or wrongness of an act to be done, or not done. 
right? But it is essentially an act of the intelligence. So a, a statesman will say, okay, I was elected by these people. I made very clear to them what my positions were, and they elected me. And so the positions I've stated to them now are the positions I'm going to hold to. So if I, I ran on a pro-life, that is to say, if I ran on a position which recognized that abortion is the murder of an innocent baby, and I condemn that as murder, and I will have nothing to do with it, and I will vote against it every chance I get, and do everything I can to prevent it. If that's the position somebody took, and he was voted into office on the basis of the position he took, that's the position he's going to hold. Even if all the constituents get together and say, well, you know, we voted you in, but we don't want you to, to you know, be pro-life, we want you to be pro-death here and support abortion, the statesman will say, look, we have a, an agreement, okay? I took this position, I stand for that. I told you what I stand for in conscience, and you voted for me, and that's what I'm going to stand for. I don't care who says I changed my mind or I don't want you to do that. This is what I was placed in office to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And if you don't like it, then you have to vote, then you'll vote me out. Then get rid of me. You have other means of getting rid of me. But I have a sacred obligation before Almighty God because that's the position I took in conscience, and you voted for that. Whether you like it or not now, you put me in office, and I have that responsibility, and I'm going to live up to that responsibility. So it's not a matter of just what you want me to do at any given moment regardless of what I believe is right or wrong. The statesman takes his position on a matter of his conscience. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. Take it or leave it. That's what we need right now. So anyway, um, there you go. What was the question again? <laughs> oh, Father, uh, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate, well, your time. appreciate everything that you do, and thank you for uh, going through all of this for us. Well, uh, Tom, thank you very much. I just wanted to know when you're running for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do, Father. Okay, make a good statement of principles. And it doesn't really matter whether you're elected or not, because you state, your, your, you state where you stand on these matters of conscience. If you're a candidate, they have to give you the microphone. They can't silence you. And you have the opportunity to say what you believe. And Right now, that's what we really need. We need, to, we need to seize those opportunities to say what we believe. And I wouldn't even want you to hope to be elected. I'd like, I'd like you to be elected. But if you begin to think, gee, you know, maybe I can be elected here, the tendency, the temptation will be to start saying, well, maybe I'd better hold back. Maybe I'd better not be so forthright, right? That's when the poison sets in, right? So <clears throat> what I really like is candidates to step forward and say, look, I'm going to say what's on my mind. Tell the truth. Tell them this is what I stand for in conscience, just for the sake of, of getting the word out there, yeah. of being able to state my, my case in the case of my faith and my hope and my love for our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to say. And as long as I'm a candidate for office in the United States of America, they cannot silence me. That would put them in, in line for severe penalties, even federal penalties, right? Uh, if they silenced me as a candidate for office. And I have no intention of being elected. No expectation of being elected. 
So I'm not going to let those expectations alter it in any way anything I say. Because the idea of thinking, well, maybe I can be elected could be a real threat to your liberty of, you know, as it were, of uh, conscience there. So, uh, you know, the, the whole purpose of it is to be able to uh, profess your faith, hope, and love in our Lord. And uh, then, if by the grace of God, people vote for you and elect you, you have a mandate. And uh, you stated your case, you told them what you stood for, and then you have to carry, carry, follow through. Before God and man, you have an obligation to follow through. So I'm going to have the signs printed up. Do you think we should consult your wife first? <laughs> you might have something to say about this, but anyway. Well, listen, uh, God bless all of our viewers. Please continue to pray for us and those uh, especially who are suffering right now. Yep. Thank you, Father. God bless you. God bless you all. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.